So this morning we were practicing just using sound and uh, feeling the sense of how the this very breath that we normally experience imagine it's just you know about giving us oxygen and so forth. It's also something that can produce sound. <laughs> and these sounds uh, is a way in which we bring our own breath to our own body, to our own throat, shape it with our mouth, make this sound into into the into the context we're living in, abiding in. And in Indian culture, in Vedic culture, this is always considered somewhat miraculous, really. What you think about it is, uh, because something that's so distinctly one's own, your own breath rhythm, the way your throat is, husky or narrow or whatever it is, the way you, the shape of your own mouth. <laughs> uh, so it's got your thumbprints all over it, if you like, your body prints all over it. And the pressure in which you're pushing it produces this phenomenon that other people hear and take in. And it carries tone, tonality it's threatening, or accusative, or welcoming, or curious, or funny, or heartwarming. The very tone of it carries these qualities that we, we are affected by and pick up. So it's got an emotive significance, emotional significance, and an energetic significance, because, you know, uh, it takes energy to produce sound, uh, and it's a careful, when chanting, it's a very careful, sustained energy. And it vibrates in the body. The body's own vibrating resonances form that sound. So it carries kinds of energies. And so as you may be well aware, one of the classic practices is mantra, whereby you, you repeat sometimes only half a dozen words or even less over and over not because you haven't quite understood the meaning of it the first time round <laughs> because you're resonating the sound through through your own body so it has a calming effect because you get the same energy time and time again and you begin to realize you know like your your thoughts your emotions also set up energetic patterns yeah. which can be very scrambled, jumping around, yeah. or uh, stagnant. Oh, well, I suppose I've got to be you know, stagnant. You can feel different qualities, or, or of course raging. Uh, or, so then you use the mantra, just produce a pure sound, and a sound that um, uplifts. And we chanting... What we're doing here isn't quite the same, but it carries some of that same significance because the chanting forms part of a, a practice called puja. Puja means to honor 
or salute or respect, praise that which is worthy of honour. Or it says, uh, you know, to praise that which is worthy of honour, this is the highest blessing. Because when you praise something that's worthy of praise, and you feel it's worthy of praise, you feel the energy of your uplifted mind. Yeah. So if your mind is, oh, that's so wonderful, right? Now, you feel that, that energy, as you express it with your voice, brings this energy into your body and into your mind. Just like if you're criticizing and complaining, moaning, then <laughs> what does that the effect in your own mind? Mind is is turgid or ragged or disturbed. Whereas if we produce sound and voice that has an uplifting meaning to it, and uplifting it, then that meaning and the energy of it produces particular resonances in our minds, if in our bodies establish and create a certain purifying or brightening effect. That's the, that's the rationale behind it. So even if you don't even really understand every single word, you still get the sense, oh, this is about, you know, Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, um, what Buddha means, um, you know, clarity, wisdom, um, profound weight awakening, generous, great teacher, compassionate one, one of measurable depth of mind, understanding, samadhi, uh, tirelessly energetic in distributing his teachings for 45 years solid until his, on his dying deathbed, on his dying breath, he's still asking, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> he didn't hold back. Now I think that's worthy of respect myself. <laughs> yeah. So you just see and take one or two of those qualities you think, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dhamma, what he taught, essentially his practices of cultivating the mind, of training one's actions, of, of turning one's attention and holding it steadily so that we can eliminate the confusions and the tangles and the wounds and the, you know, ignorance that causes unnecessary suffering and stress. And that's completely relevant today. People practice this all over the world. They've been doing so wherever the Dhamma is taught for two and a half thousand years. Dumb is worthy of respect. <laughs> Nothing else has lasted so long as that, you know. It's still you can still do it fresh today. Uh, nothing else has really got that same staying power. So that's worth to me that's worthy of respect, worthy of praising it. And Sangha, those who have practiced, who commit to practice, um, you know, and who work through the human condition with its pitfalls and you know, personal history. Some of these um, monks and nuns have extremely uh, tragic uh, personal history that they struggled out of and 
you know, very challenging uh, things they experienced, then they rose up to states of uh, serenity and clarity and strength. And, and that too, when you see that, you even hear some of those stories over two and a half thousand years, that's, that's what's kept it going. So it's not just the book thing, it's actually a hand-to-hand, voice-to-ear transmission, human transmission, linking up. You know, you, my, my teacher told me this and he did that. My teacher told me this and she did that. She did that, she went there and she did that. Every day she did that. Uh, so these are the uh, uh, things we we lift up, we raise up. And you, every time you recognise a teaching that's been meaningful to you, and you recognise a teacher who's helped you, and you just dwell upon it, then it has this rising quality, heart lifts. So these are always considered very strengthening. Um, Foundations for meditation. Now, the nature of the mind, whatever you give attention to and linger on, that topic that you linger on and give an attention to, that will grow in your mind. Yeah. Both the topic and the feeling that it evokes, they will grow. So, if you dwell upon uh, something problematic, dwell upon it, linger on a bit, your mind will continue to think about it, and you, your mind will absorb, you know, the unhappy feeling that that evokes. It's just the nature of mind. Whatever you give attention to grows and magnifies and it is felt in your heart. It's just the fact of the, of the mind. And furthermore, if you keep doing it, <laughs> keep going back to that same place, then you develop a kind of a, it develops a sort of track. I mean, your mind goes back to that grievance, that sorrow, that pain, again and again. So it becomes like a uh, like a track, or that your mind runs down quite easily, quite <clears throat> readily. painful memories and certainly when we come into a uh, situation of restraint we're not really adding a lot of stuff to it a lot of things we're doing it's supposed to be quite open and nothing much so that residual experiences from the past or residual phenomena of the past can rise up which is not always that comfortable it's saying this is, this is what you need to to uh, release. This is your laundry. This is time to do the laundry. You know, there's a few bits of, you know, some stains in here you need to wash out. Not necessarily your fault. It can be things that have happened to you. You're still feeling a bit shattered by or flattened by or whatever. And the idea of retreat is you don't add a lot of new activities so that the resi- residues of old activities can come to the surface. Now, as this isn't always necessarily the most uh, happy experience, <laughs> we say, well, you know, before we, we always 
frame that within a, a context where there is a lot of agreeable resonances, <coughs> a lot of resonances and meanings that are strengthening and comforting and reassuring. You know? So that the foundation for our um, meditation and mindfulness practice is to pick up the bright, the encouraging, the steadying, the gladdening. So we've got something there. Then the mind is in a good state. It's fit. We've fed it proper food. Yeah. We've fed it nice, fresh, bright food. And it's ready to tackle, to meet stuff that is not so comfortable. And rather like, um, you know, when you have a two rivers meeting, the bigger river captures the current of the smaller river, doesn't it? See, one river meets another one, say they're coming at different angles. Whichever one's got the bigger volume of in it will capture the current. Yeah. So the idea is, you get enough if you keep encouraging the good qualities, recollecting them. And also creating this sense of strong mindfulness, so your, your, your current of your mind is strong and held steadily. It's going a good way. This can capture the current of the afflicted impressions and just not get knocked around by them. And begin to, oh well, mm. Mm. not get overwhelmed. This is because fundamentally, fundamental medium of ex- direct experience, all experience, if experience is direct, is it's felt and it's, it's energetic. It's, it's the nature, the fundamental nature of experience is not materiality, which is just a particular kind of energy. You know, Einstein proved that physically in physics. What we experience is really just um, being something like an energetic wave pattern in our mind and it vibrates and it gets jumps, does certainly does that, and it sinks, it does that and it rises and it stirs, it agitates and it soothes and soars and it plummets. It's very it's like an energetic quality that that we experience. Dynamic, and the body has the same properties in it. There's lots of energetic properties in the body. So, for example, if we hear a loud bang, we jump. Why does the body jump? When you see someone you're fond of, your heart rises, your chest opens. Feel a press, and your shoulders sink over. So the body. Body energies also shift around in term in line with the, the mind's energies. So we, we begin to practice encouraging steady, uh, sustained, carefully held, uh, uh, and strong, bright energies. Then it's able to wash through and soothe and release some of these rather you know, afflictive bits and pieces where we've been 
irritated or disappointed or let down something so you still carry those effects this is the way memory works you see I mean, do, you, do, you, do you get it why do you remember things we don't do it what do you remember the most powerful things you remember are the things that affected you most deeply you don't remember neutral things most of your life you don't remember I'm sure (laughs) or it's an effort to remember it but you remember that stirring conversation that wonderful day that fantastic person that horrific thing you know you remember those because they created a big hit in terms of your your mind's energy was was aroused or shaken or lifted by that or, or crushed by that so that energetic imprint is still in this waveform of the mind it's still there so as your mind is rolling along it hits one of these pieces and it stirs again and we get the images and the thing comes back that's how it works and so normally of course we're so adding so many much more material to our mind that we don't touch into those residual experiences but with this practice you're allowing residual phenomena to arise residual forms to arise and Rising and then passing a soothing, cleansing, loving, receptive, accepting, forgiving, or energy through through them. So you're able to kind of undo these uh, results, these old experiences that we've had. evening we'll begin with some of these recollections and I think we'll start actually with the English versions so you see I have this little book here carefully put together and uh, get alternate pages and the first page is this language called Pali which is the old language of the Buddhist scriptures and if you turn over you'll see the English and that's the case for the Buddha and the Dhamma and run around the other way and then the Sangha and so we've chanted that then we'll chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness which is a couple of pages along and Buddha also chanting is only one part of it major part of it but also the sense of offering like you're offering your voice, you're offering your sound, you're offering your your mental intention, is begins with making an offering to the emblem, the symbol of the Buddha. So this is where we turn to the shrine, because this is this emblem, this figure here, 
is just a figure to help remind us certain key features, the upright, the peaceful, the uh, serene uh, presence. And we make offerings to that. So then you make an offering with three things. So flowers, which represent uh, virtue, pure, fragrant, natural. Light, which represents clarity, wisdom, soft, gentle light. And incense, which represents the collectedness of mental energy we call samadhi. Because even a tiny, tiny little stick of it, the resonance of it travels a long way. So even just a little bit of collected mind has a powerful effect on the whole of your energetic field. Just that some steadiness within the, the mental field has a steadying resonance that ripples through the entire mental field. So let's uh, participate in that.